Happy Easter, Red Rocks Church. You guys look good today. How awesome was that poem that was just done on that video? Wasn't that incredible? Yeah, that was done by our very own Brene Keithley, our fearless worship leader over at our Brussels, Belgium campus. And let's do this. Let's say hi to all of our campuses, including Brussels, Belgium, and Arvada, and Littleton, and Lakewood, and Arvada, and am I forgetting one? Evergreen. We love you up in the mountains. Good for you, right? And then can we do this? Can we give the most gracious round of applause to all the men and women at our God Behind Bars campuses? We love you guys so much. So much. Every year, our little planet Earth does a full circle around the sun. And we quantify it this year in months and then in weeks and then in days and then in hours and minutes and seconds, right? And in the, in the terms of weeks, we have 52 of them. But none of the weeks in all of our calendar years is significant as this week. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is what we call our Super Bowl in Americana terms, right? This is like our Holy Week. This is, this is the centerpiece of why we do what we do, why we live the way we live, why we talk the way we talk, and why we think the way we think. And I absolutely love Easter. I love what it's all about. I love that Easter, this week, you can just fill it in the air. It's like this divine reminder of what life is all about. And not just what life is all about. Easter's like this divine reminder of who life's all about. Because if you know who you're living this life for, it will actually speak to what and why you're living this life, right? And we live this life, if you're in Christ Jesus, for the name that is above every name. At that name, Jesus, every knee, the Bible says, will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I love Easter because it represents this word hope. And I believe hope is the fuel. It is the gasoline, if you will, for the human soul to keep going. I love that we're people who have put everything in their hope in Jesus Christ. And I love that on Friday and on Saturday when Jesus had been pierced for our sins and our iniquities and when he was put in that grave on Saturday and people were calling him a fraud and everyone was saying it over and then they woke up and at dawn on Sunday they realized that nobody was in the grave and Jesus was just cementing for us this word hope and saying hope is alive and as long as you got hope, you have life. This is what I love about Easter. I love, I, we can clap for that. It's Easter. Let's clap for everything this weekend. Why not? I love it. I love this word that's synonymous with Easter. I love this one, man, because I played sports my whole life. The word victory. Man, I have tasted the beauty of victory, right? And I have also tasted the agony of defeat. I know what it's like to lose, and I know what it's like to be on the winning team. And because I've done both, I can tell you this about us as humans. We were not designed to lose. Can I get an amen? This is why we love competition, man. This is why we love being on the winning team. We were not designed to lose. And in Christ Jesus, the victory has already been purchased and paid for, and now we just get the free freedom to live out of that, and that's the best news on planet Earth. There is, however, though, something about Easter that's difficult for me, and maybe some of you, you would agree with this, and here's what I mean. There's this beautiful verse that talks about Easter in Romans 8, 11, and it says this. It says, the Spirit of God, Red Rocks Church, that literally raised Jesus from the dead, ready for this, now lives in you. 
If you are in Christ Jesus and you have received his saving grace through faith, if you are a born again believer, listen to me, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And I love that because I'm a visionary. And I love that because I have become an optimist over the years. And most days I love this verse because I look at that and I go, do you understand how much potential there's on the inside of me? Like, I want to keep growing. I want to keep moving. I want to keep taking risks. I want to keep living life to the fullest because I've got a power in me that literally has the capacity to raise a human being from the dead. Why would I play this life small? Why would I let shame be the anthem of my heart? Why would I let depression rule the day? Why would I let those things that I'm so tempted to fall into, why would I let those things win out when the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in me? I have that free gift that he has given me of God's sovereign, powerful, authoritative, Holy Spirit. Why in the world would I play this life small, right? And that's what I love about that verse. But I also have some days where I read that verse and it feels more like an indictment than it does a blessing because I look at how I'm living that day or that week or that month And I'm like, my life looks nothing like resurrection. My life doesn't look like any of that spirit lives in me right now. Because I'm going through it. And some of you, you walk through our doors in any of our campuses, and that's your story. And can I just have an honest moment with you? On this side of eternity, until you breathe your last, this cycle of some really good days and some really bad days, they're inevitable. Jesus warned us. He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But he's a God of hope. He's a God who knew he was going to conquer death. So he doesn't put a period there. He puts a comma and he says, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You can have troublesome days and still walk in good cheer. Why? Because of resurrection. But here's why this verse is difficult for me. And here's why we have good days and we have bad days. Listen to me. We are creatures that were designed from the beginning of time for eternity. At the deepest parts of who you are, in the deepest recesses of your body, your mind, and your spirit, your soul cries out for eternity. Whether you realize it or not, Ecclesiastes 3.11 puts it this way. It says, God has placed eternity in the hearts of all men, sinners and saints alike. Everyone on planet earth is born into this world with eternity on their hearts and minds. But here's the problem. Here's the rub. Here's the difficulty. We are born with eternity in our minds, but we are currently bound by time and space and dimension, right? And we serve this God whose spirit's on the inside of us, who's not bound by time and space and by dimension. And that starts meddling with us because all the time the gravitational pull of the human heart wants to get us to play small and live small and live without faith and live depressed or live beat down or let shame again be the theme or the anthem of our lives. Uh, Everything in the gravitational pull of our hearts wants to be victims instead of victors, right? And, And here's the reason, because we live with this sometimes whisper and sometimes with this scream that we were designed for something greater than we're currently able to display. And that's frustrating, is it not? And if you don't think you were designed and created with eternity in your heart, then come watch my five-year-old son in the backyard play Avengers. And I'll tell you why, because I, wa- I dad-stalked him this week, and I watched him out there, and he was playing Avengers, and he was the Incredible Hulk. And my son is 45 pounds soaking wet, and he couldn't be more pale and white, and he's got duck feet and the cutest lisp on planet Earth, but when he was back there, in his mind, he was 6'8", and he was green, and he was 1% body fat, and he was ready to save the world from whatever world's problems we have. Why? 
because deeply embedded in his heart, he knows he was created for those type possibilities. But because we are bound by time and space, what do we have to do? We have to play make-believe. And if you live enough life, more than a five-year-old lives, eventually you get that make-believe, that, that I can conquer and do anything. You let that spirit go, right? It's not just, let's think about adults. Let's talk Bill Gates for a minute, okay? This guy we know revolutionized the tech world and has either been or currently is the richest man on planet Earth. Why when Bill Gates started to sell out and he started to back away from Microsoft, why didn't he just go by like 10 islands in the South Pacific and never to be seen again? Do you ever do that? Because that's what I would do. You ever play the If I Were Bill Gates game? <laughs> Don't act like we're not all super awesome with other people's money because you know how that works. I've played the If I Were Bill Gates game and if I were the Bill Gates uh, right now, I wouldn't be talking to y'all. I'd be on some island with a Mai Tai and a bunch of friends and nobody that I don't like. And we would be having an incredible time. I would eat, drink, and be merry and this is probably why God did not let me be Bill Gates. <laughs> Plus, all I know on my computer is email and solitaire. That's literally all I know. But, but here's the thing. Why didn't Bill and Melinda Gates, when they started backing away from Microsoft and handing over the reins, why didn't they just go off into obscurity and be at peace with this incredible advancement they contributed to planet Earth? Why couldn't they do it? Because we are eternal creatures and frustrated by the fact that we are bound by time and space, right? And so do you know what they did? They said, okay, now that we're done revolutionizing the tech world, let's go into the social justice world. Let's, let's start here. Let's try and eradicate global poverty. Thanks for starting small, Bill, right? <laughs> you don't have eternity in your hearts unless you think like that, right? Why didn't he just go to an island like we did? The reason they didn't do that and they're trying to literally eradicate poverty all over the globe and disease and sickness all over the globe is because there's this whisper in Bill's heart and this sometimes probably scream that says, you can't just go retire because you were created and you were destined for something so much bigger than we can currently live out, right? That's the frustrating thing. And listen to me, Red Rocks Church. When you are a creature that was created for eternity, yet bound by time and space, if you do not know what to do with that tension, that tension will destroy you. This is all of the dysfunction, all of the evil, all of our poor decisions are birthed out of this fact that we can never live fully satisfied on this side of eternity, right? With this idea that we were, we were, we were meant for something so much grander than we're currently able to display. And I want to spend the rest of my time just simply saying to you that there is a remedy for this tension. And the only remedy for this reality is simply this. It's the word resurrection, so if you have your Bibles, go with me to Isaiah 61. We're going to be reading that. Isaiah 61 is an incredible passage of Scripture. It's extremely precious to me. In fact, it's so precious, I almost didn't want to preach it at Easter because I thought, man, I just can't do justice to this. But for the last 12 years, before every sermon that I've ever preached, before I walk up on this stage, just like I just did, the last thing I do is quote Isaiah 61 over the service that I'm about to preach at. 
Because everything in Isaiah 61 is the prophet Isaiah prophesying about what Jesus was going to be like, what Jesus' heart was for you and I, what Jesus wanted to do for people who have eternity in their hearts but have made so many mistakes and done so many dysfunctional and dumb things because we're currently bound by time and space. So what Jesus does is he enters time and space so he can know what it's like to be us. But while he's here, he's not here just to know what it's like to be us. He's here to give us hope for this frustration that right now, although we were born for eternity, there's still limits on us. He came to destroy those limits by the power on the inside of us. And Isaiah 61 is this beautiful passage that tells us this is exactly what Jesus, some 700 years later after Isaiah would write this, is going to come and do. And will you do this for me, Red Rocks Church, at all of our campuses, especially if you're visiting with us? Maybe even for some of you, this is your first time to come through the doors of a church, or maybe you haven't been to church in a long, long time, and maybe it's because you've had some really bad things happen to you in the name of the church or in the name of God, which is even worse, and so it's been very difficult, and maybe this is the first time you're coming back to church. Would you just do this? Would you let, not humans, but would you let God's word tell you about who God really is, not what people have told you he is? Here's what it says Jesus is coming to do in Isaiah 61. He prophesies this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord, Isaiah writes, is on me, Jesus, because the Lord has anointed me, Jesus, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up, there it is, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, this is what God wants for us, and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God. Red Rocks, listen to this. This is the heart of Christ for you right now. Please hear this. He wants to comfort all who mourn. We serve a comforter. He wants to provide for those who grieve in Zion. We serve a provider. He wants to bestow on us a crown of beauty instead of ashes He's a bestower, the oil of joy instead of mourning, the garment of praise, I love this one, the garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. Why? That we may be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of your splendor. Did you hear the characteristics of our God? He came to proclaim good news to the poor. And can I just remind us that when he's proclaiming good news to the poor, here's who the poor are, everyone on planet earth. The Bible says everyone on planet earth has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? And Jesus came to proclaim, but you can be re-justified and redeemed and resurrected back to the glory of God through the gift that I'm going to give you that you can't deserve or earn on your own. And I love that Jesus is just all of these incredible things. And it says the ultimate purpose, this is going to mess with some of you for a minute. The ultimate purpose that Jesus wants to do all of this beautiful and all of this redemptive work in our lives is simply for this, that we might display the glory of God. See, resurrection is about bringing us back to God's original intent, and the ultimate purpose for that is not about you. And that might sound bad at first, but that relieves everything about us because we were never meant to fixate and focus on us. 
The ultimate purpose, God is in the business of doing such beautiful and such redemptive and such wonderful work in our lives is because when we receive that, you know what we end up doing with our lives? We display the splendor and the glory of God. It is in God's best interest to not only love you, but to heal you and to redeem you and to restore you. And so if you walk into any of our campuses and you can't believe that for yourself right now, then throw yourself out of the equation. If you come in here and say, man, if you knew my story, you men and women at God behind bars, some of you are thinking, yeah, that sounds all nice in church at Easter, Chad, but if you knew what I was in here for, listen to me. It is to God's glory that he gives you a new story. Not your old rap sheet, not what put you behind those bars. It is to God's glory that he displays his splendor in how he takes you, a prisoner, and destroys the prison in you and gives you a story and gives you a testimony. That's what he comes to do. That's why the spirit of the sovereign Lord was on Jesus. And here's what's so cool. When, when he changes you the way Isaiah 1 through 3 says he's going to change you, guess what we start doing? We start changing other people for the glory of God. Listen to this. It goes on in verse 4. Once all the, the stuff we just talked about happens, now here's what happens in verse 4. We're going to rebuild the ancient ruins. A lot of rewords here. Listen to these. We're going to rebuild the ancient ruins. We're going to restore places long devastated. We're going to renew the ruined cities that have been devastated. This isn't what Jesus is going to do. We read in the first three verses what Jesus is going to do for us and then what he's going to empower us to do for the world. We're going to renew ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd our flocks. Foreigners will work our fields and vineyards. And we will be called the priests of the Lord. Man, what an honor. And in Christ Jesus, the New Testament says, guess what you are? You are a royal priesthood. We will be named ministers of our God. We will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches, we will boast. Instead of your shame, listen to this. Some of you need to hear this. Instead of your shame, because of Jesus and his goodness over you, you will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance, and so you will inherit a double portion in your land. An everlasting joy, I love this, will be yours. Pro uh, Isaiah prophesies, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, listen to this, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Let me stop right there. This is too good to not stop at. He says, in my faithfulness, I will reward my people. Do you know when he was writing this, Israel was neck deep in idolatry and rebellion? Israel was one at their all-time lows when the prophet Isaiah is saying, Jesus is coming to restore you from your idolatry and your rebellion. He's not coming to destroy you. He's coming to reward you. Nothing but mercy and grace could make any sense of that. But what did it say? It said, in my faithfulness, I will reward you. The Bible says in the New Testament, when we are faithless, God remains faithful. Do you know what that means? You may have walked into any of our campuses and you have lived a life that has been faithless. God has not been a part of the equation. There is nothing Christ-like or God-like about your life. But in his faithfulness, you still qualify for Jesus to come and do all the stuff we read about about in Isaiah verses one through three. You still qualify at the height of your rebellion. Their descendants, it says, let's clap again. It's Easter, come on. <laughs> We're gonna be a clap in church someday. Sean and I are praying for this. 
Isaiah writes this. This is beautiful. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. Why? Listen to this. And if you're in Christ Jesus, this is you. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. He says, for as the soil makes the sprout come up and, the gar- and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Isn't that a beautiful chapter in the Bible? Isn't that incredible? It's one of the most precious to me. Like I told you earlier, so precious, I really didn't want to preach it at Easter. Because I'm like, God, I love to read it, but there is no way on my best day of preaching I can do even remote justice to the implications of the beauty of this prophecy about your son, Jesus. I came here this weekend and my only goal was, Jesus, I just want to do honor and I want to do a service to your name. And I'm scared to preach Isaiah 61 because it just talks about the depths of how good and merciful and kind you are and how desperately in your love you want to resurrect broken, fallen, hurt, and wounded people like myself. I don't feel like I have the words to do justice. And then God in his goodness, he gave me a renewed revelation about Isaiah 61 in a really weird and obscure way. But that's the story of my life. And it all started when I got a text from my wife, Rachel. This was about two and a half or three weeks ago. And I had been meditating on Isaiah and just asking, God, show me how you want to articulate this for Easter. Show me this, God. And I got a text from my wife, and he showed me through this text, and it said this. It said, hey, I'm taking the kids to Texas. (laughs) Nothing else for a minute. And I'm sitting there going, am I getting dumped? (laughs) I thought I was a good good dad. I'm a good, good father. That's me. It's what I do, right? I'm, I'm getting dumb. I thought my wife was into me, man. And then you see the dot, dot, dots, meaning she's writing more. And she says, man, you're so busy this week and, and it's spring break and we're going to go stir crazy if we stay here. So I'm taking the kids down to Texas. So I breathe a sigh of relief. I'm taking the kids down to Texas. We're going to go to Dallas. There's a hotel with some water slides in it. And we're going to do that for a couple days. And I went, that's awesome. Right? That's incredible. I wish I could go with you. I, I dad failed that week. I overbooked work and I, I scheduled to speak out of town and so I couldn't go with him. But I was super glad that she was going to do that. And then I got another text from her and she said this. Oh, and by the way, on the way back from Dallas, we're going to spend a day in Waco. And then she wrote this. Because mama bear needs to go to Mecca. <laughs> Any of you know what I'm talking about when I say Waco, Texas? Yeah, what, what Mama Bear was talking about was this place called Magnolia Farms. They call this place Disneyland for designers. My wife loves interior design. My wife loves Chip and Joanna Gaines. My wife loves the show Fixer Upper. Trust me. And here's the problem. I could care less about interior design. I am a dude, the consummate dude. Plus, we have four kids, 11 and under. I don't care about furniture. They're going to ruin it all. I'm like, we don't need to decorate our house. It's going to get destroyed every time. Why would we do that, right? But several years ago, she started getting me to to watch this show, Fix Her Upper, with her. And I was like, okay, I'll watch it with you. And I found myself all of a sudden being addicted to it. And I found myself, when my wife wasn't there, watching Fix Her Upper. And I'm sitting there going, I don't even care about interior design. I don't care about Waco, Texas. I don't know Chip and Joanna Gaines from Adam. What is it about this show that gets me coming back? And think about Fixer Upper for a minute, just for a minute. I want you to understand this. 25 million some people every episode tune in to watch 
a 40-year-old couple from Waco, Texas, remodel houses. We've been remodeling houses for centuries now. Like, what's the big deal, right? And I started thinking to myself, what's the big deal? And it's Waco, Texas. Who cares, right? But then the more I started watching it, the more I started realizing, and God actually spoke to my heart a couple weeks ago, and he said, Chad, the reason this has become a cultural phenomenon, it has nothing to do with interior design. You know what it has to do with? Resurrection. They have a template for resurrection. And the human heart desperately, even though we can rarely articulate it, we desperately know that we need resurrection in our hearts and our lives, not just on Easter Sunday. We need it every day of every year that God lets us breathe, right? We know because we were born for, crea- uh, we were born for eternity, but we're still bound by time and space. And it's like God was showing me the reason this show is such a phenomenon and so successful is because they have the ability to do what Jesus did and what we read about in Isaiah 61. They have the ability to look at a house that other people have called abandoned or abused or weathered or worn or eventually condemned and they look at it and go, oh, we can do something amazing with that. Oh, that house is gonna look better than the day it was first built. Just let us add it. And this is what Jesus, this is what he speaks over you and I. And this is what Isaiah was trying to let the people know. Oh man, there's something so beautiful Jesus can come and do. We can't wait for our Messiah to come. We can't wait for him to get up on that cross and eventually conquer death in the grave because that is gonna put a spirit and a power on the inside of us that is gonna be the ultimate fixer-upper of these houses. And what they do with those houses, Jesus came to do with our houses because our houses to some degree have all been abandoned at some time by somebody and abused at some time by somebody, if not ourselves, right? All of our houses have been weathered by the storms of life, right? And here's the temptation, the older we get and the longer we live and the more damage our houses take because of life, the, 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 the voice in our head is condemned, And we need someone with the spirit of Chip and Joanna to come and go, oh, no, 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 you're not putting a condemned sign on that. You just wait and see what we can do with this thing. This thing is actually a diamond in the rough. This thing actually has an image that that it used to bear, that we're going to let it bear again, that it didn't, that that, that is beautiful. And I was thinking, this this is it. And, And here's what Joanna does. Here's the template of resurrection. Joanna, the first thing she does with the homeowners is she sits them down with this really cool software, probably made by Bill Gates, and... And she shows them everything that they're gonna do. And all they have before they see that is the picture of the house they buy that looks awful. And then she starts showing them pictures. And this is, this is like Isaiah 61, uh, 1, 1 through 3, where, where, where Isaiah is saying, hey, here's what we're gonna do with you. Here's what Jesus is gonna do with your house. He's gonna continually paint it. And what is it? Shiplap it. Isn't that what she's obsessed with, shiplap? We're going to put all kinds of shiplap over those broken and those hurt and those wounded places. We're going to proclaim the good news. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is going to come on you and he's going to proclaim good news to you. Not just one day on Easter 2,000 years ago, but this is why we constantly come here every week and talk about the gospel. Is because Easter isn't a day or a week that we ultimately celebrate. Easter is a mindset and it is a lifestyle because what Christ has done, right? And he came to proclaim good news to the poor. He came to bind up the brokenhearted, right? Some of you walk in here with a broken heart. He's wanting to bind that up. It's in his best interest and for God's great glory that he fixes your broken heart, but you by faith have to let him. He came to bind up broken hearts. He came to provide for us when we're grieving, 
to bestow on us beauty instead of ashes. Isn't that a beautiful statement, beauty instead of ashes? Do you know what God can do with ashes? You think Chip and Joe can do some cool stuff with beat down and broken things? Do you know what God can do with ashes? Read Genesis 1 and 2. He took ashes. He took dust. And when he breathed on it, guess what we got? Us. Not bad. If you don't think your life uh, is worthy of of God's breath, you haven't heard God's heart yet good enough. So I'm just going to keep preaching it. This is what Jesus came to do. And that's what Joanna does with the people first is she gives them a vision and she shows them. But then guess what has to happen next? This is the tough part. Not for Chip because he loves it. But for Jesus, this is the tough part because in Waco, they call the next step demo day. Do you know what we call it in Christendom? Good Friday. Let's read about it. Isaiah 53, verses four through 11. This is what Jesus did to clear out everything in your life that is not redeemable and that is broken and that is worn out and that is weathered. This is what Jesus did to clear out so he could bring something new. It says, surely Jesus took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Please let that sink in. If you've never met Jesus, if you haven't heard much about Jesus, if you're being introduced to Jesus, this is what he did for you and the only motivating factor is his love for you. And when he did this on the cross, he knew every sin and every shortcoming and every failure and every mistake you would ever make in this lifetime. And he still did it. He was pierced for our transgression, for Chad's. He was crushed for Chad's iniquities. The punishment that brought me peace was upon him. And by his wounds, Red Rocks Church, we are healed We all like sheep, all of us in this room, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on Jesus, not on us when we deserved it. He laid it on his son, Jesus, when he did nothing to deserve it. He laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, Jesus was taken away. Yet, who of this generation protested? In other words, no one, including his family and friends, no one tried to stop it and stick up for him. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. For Chad Brugman, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand, and after he has suffered, he will see the light of life, and he will be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant Jesus will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. We deserved demolition because of our sin. Make no mistake about it. But God did not come to punish the sinner. God came to punish sin. And because we are 
carriers of that sin, he had to do something to keep us in good standing while at the same time bringing justice to sin because our God is holy and he cannot look upon sin. We could never be in a full eternal relationship with him if something wasn't done about the sin that all of us, because all of us like sheep have gone away, right? There is no one righteous, Isaiah would say in another passage, not one of us. None of us qualify in our own selves, in our own goodness. And that's why God, because he loves us so much and because we are a planning of the Lord for the display of his splendor, he is a proud father. Don't let any church or any pastor or any other person tell you any different. He is proud of you, even on your worst day of rebellion, so much so that he said, here's how I fix it. He who knew no sin, Jesus, is going to become sin for Chad so that Chad might become the righteousness of God. Do you understand that? God said, the only way that I can do this is I'm going to allow, I'm going to crush my son, Jesus, instead of crushing my future son, Chad. I'm going to give to Chad what Jesus deserves, and I'm going to give to Jesus what Chad deserved. And it is ludicrous, and it is scandalous, and his grace is amazing. We've already sang it, and it oftentimes makes no sense to our minds. But listen to me. This is how loved you are by God. He went to that kind of length to bring restoration to your life and redemption and resurrection. And the coolest part of the show is when all of the demo's been done and you start seeing all of the walls go up and you start seeing all of the furniture being put in and you start to see all of the old stuff that's gone and all of the new stuff that's appearing. And the human heart watches that show and just goes, this is awesome. How did they do that? And what I love about the last step is this. When you have been resurrected, the the next thing you do is reciprocate. And this is the sweet spot in life because the full circle of resurrection in your life and mine is reciprocation. The sweetest spot in life, the best way you can deal with this nasty truth that we were created for eternity, yet we're bound by time and space, the way you walk through this broken life to its fullest is you let God do so much unfair, undeserved, yet gracious and merciful work that you are compelled in his goodness to go be that for someone else. That is the full circle of resurrection is reciprocation. And that's why Isaiah didn't stop after verse three. That's why in verse four, he said, we're gonna rebuild. We're gonna restore. We're gonna renew people. We're gonna renew cities. We're gonna renew places long devastated. We're gonna restore things that have been gone for generations. We're gonna receive. We're gonna rejoice. We're gonna walk in a reward that we don't deserve. Why? Because when we receive those things, we reciprocate those things. And that is when we are a planning of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And that's when life starts to get really sweet, even in the midst of a really problematic and sometimes ugly world that we find ourselves living in. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is where hope is found. And there is only, excuse me, one way to find it. And band, you guys can go ahead and come on up. And I want to end with this. This is why we do church. There is nothing on this Easter weekend, listen to me, Red Rocks Church, that will please the heart of the Father more than when he restores and redeems and resurrects another house, another human being. When he takes someone from just being an image bearer to becoming a son and daughter. And there's only one way that can happen because a bunch of you at all of our campuses, you've never received the free gift of Jesus Christ. You don't know what it's like to have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead living in you. But guess what? You're about to. 
God brought you here to all of our campuses this weekend to pronounce to you the good truth, to proclaim through the spirit of the living God the good news of Jesus Christ so he can start to do that work he said he would do, so he can start to bind up your broken heart, so he can start to provide for you, so he can start to bestow on you a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, so that you can walk out of here with a garment of praise instead of a a spirit of despair. So you can walk out of here oak-like in stature and confidence. He wants to save your soul. But here's the deal. You have to first make peace with the fact that you are a sinner and I am a sinner and all we like sheep have gone astray. And I know on the surface that sounds like really bad news and it would be if we didn't have such a great savior who loves us so much. But he came and through Jesus Christ, He put all of his vengeance for our sin on his son so he could give us nothing but pure and unadulterated grace and mercy. Remember when Isaiah said he's gonna come and proclaim his favor, but you know what else he's gonna do? He's gonna declare the day of the vengeance of our God. But please understand this. God did not come to bring vengeance to humans. He came to bring vengeance to sin and evil and iniquity. But because we were carriers of it, there was a part we have to play. And the only part we have to play is to acknowledge that I am a sinner in need of that savior. I am a sinner in need of that free gift of grace and mercy. And listen to me, you don't have to earn it. You can't earn it. You don't have to qualify for it. On your best day, you cannot qualify it because God's righteousness is otherworldly. It's so much greater than you can currently display in your own strength and trying on your own. And, and Jesus brought you here to just say, hey, give up trying and let me do it for real. And I am going to start rebuilding and I'm gonna start restoring and I'm gonna start renewing and that you're gonna start rejoicing and you're gonna start to walk in a reward that you know you don't deserve. And it's gonna be so incredible that you're gonna be compelled to go and do that for other people. And that's when life to the fullest really starts. Would everyone at every campus stand and with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just wanna ask if anybody at any of our campuses wants to receive the saving work of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans, you must confess with your mouth and you must believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died and he rose again and he lives and he ascended to heaven and he's sitting on a throne praying for us right now, the Bible says, as we speak. He's calling you home right now through the power of his Holy Spirit because when his good news connects with your sinful heart, restoration and resurrection happens. So if you wanna right now say, I am a sinner and I want that free gift of salvation and I want that resurrection power living in on the inside of me, would you boldly and unapologetically at all campuses, would you proudly raise your hand right now? We wanna celebrate this with you. The Bible says that this is the one thing that causes heaven to party. Heaven is partying, hands are up all over at Littleton. Come on Arvada, come on Lakewood, come on Evergreen, come on Brussels, men and women at God Behind Bars, keep your hands up right now receive the saving work of Jesus. Let it do miracles in your heart and in your mind and in your life right now. In the name of Jesus, God, we thank you. There are so many hands, God. We thank you that you're doing a saving and redeeming and resurrecting work. This is why we do what we do, God. We give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. And now, God, I ask that you would fill every single one of these people with their hand raised with the power, the beautiful power, the good power, the loving power of the Holy Spirit, Christ Jesus in them. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen. Red Rocks Church, let's worship.